0: This podcast is produced by Benchmark Education.
1: In this episode, the science of reading and how it fits with small group instruction. I'm Kevin Carlson, and this is Teachers Talk Shop.
2: I don't want small groups to last a certain amount of time. I don't want them to be a certain type. I want them to meet needs.
1: That is Dr. Adria Klein. She is the director of the St. Mary's College of California Comprehensive Literacy Center and the author of many books, articles, and texts that influence reading instruction. Author and educator Patty McGee spoke with Adria recently about small group instruction and the sciences of reading.
0: So one of the most important like touchstones um, for us as educators is the ubiquitous Scarborough's Rope. Um, And I know this has a great influence on the choices we make in reading instruction and specifically in small groups. So maybe what we can do is begin with just describing Scarborough's Rope um, for people who are here and listening and just unpacking some of the important things to know.
2: You know, hot topics are not always new topics. They ebb and flow. And this has been periodically a key point. So when Hollis Scarborough created the rope design in 2001, around the time of the National Reading Panel early work, she was basically helping us understand important things to remember about all aspects of reading. I think the rope being intertwined means it's called a rope because it has many strands. We have to keep that in mind. To be strong, the rope needs all the strands. And so there are eight strands she described in her research and her model is really a model, a theoretical model of reading. And in general, thinking about that, Um, five of them are what we call part of language comprehension Mm -hmm. and the other three are labeled word recognition. So they aren't four and four or anything like that, five in language comprehension, three in word recognition. I wanna start with word recognition because that's essential. And when I think of word recognition, the three components should be very familiar terms to everybody. One of them is phonological awareness, and we have to consider syllables, she says, phonemes, etc. then decoding, and then the idea of sight recognition. Now this is not sight words necessarily, but quick recognition, automatic recognition of familiar Words doesn't exclude sight words, but it doesn't mean sight words, it means sight recognition. Gotcha. Then the language comprehension strand very quickly has five components, and they're probably more familiar terms for most people. One, of course, is background knowledge, and that means what you bring to the task, but also what you learn from the task. It's broadly defined, but a key one to keep in mind is vocabulary, both oral and reading and written, um, all three of those. Mm. So thinking about vocabulary in the language strand, language comprehension part of the rope, it has many aspects as well. Then she details language structures. And when I think about structure, she's talking about syntax, mm-hmm. word order, word agreement, subject verb agreement, the, all the grammar aspects and the sentence structure, as well as semantics, the meaning. Those are deliberately listed and clear as part of language comprehension. Then verbal reasoning. We've always understood the role of verbal reasoning with young children in particular, and their ability to speak to and understand verbally a lot of information they cannot yet read that they're now learning to map onto the printed page. Mm -hmm. And the fifth one is literacy knowledge. And being in the comprehension strand, this is still visually important print concepts is the first one listed. How many letters you know, how many words you know, understanding moving, reading moves from left to right rather than right to left. In fact, why everyone's kidding about the palindrome today that we're recording this Tuesday Tuesday is the fact that it can be read both directions. Well, young children need to learn that. And it's very difficult to work with phonics in the word recognition if we haven't understood directionality within word and across lines in the language comprehension. That's why I say they're so intertwined. So together, they're skilled reading. And we can talk a bit about how she defined in the Rope model, the skilled reading. And I really think the the short definition she includes is key. fluent exec- execution and coordination of word recognition and text comprehension. She didn't say one or the other, right. she said both. And so importantly, she adds, if any part of the complex rope is not present or insufficiently developed, reading will be impaired. This isn't a two-step process, Yeah, this is a weaving.
0: Yes, that is so important, and I just want to say it out loud again. I want to echo what you're saying here, is that when looking at this Scarborough's rope, that if any part of this complex rope is not present or insufficiently developed, reading will be impaired. Exactly. Crucial to this conversation today and for all readers um, in the classroom.
2: And so we want them to be strategic, and we want them to be automatic, and they both develop. And strategic is not strategies, it's ways of attacking a problem and thinking about that. For example, vocabulary being, I mentioned part of language comprehension components, children attach meaning to first letters. Yes, And consequently, not always is the letter they know in the first position. So I have a very quick story about a child named Max. And we were walking together. He was about two and a half. He knew the first letter of his name, but he didn't understand first. And he looked up at the restaurant in front of us and said, giving it away, grandma, there's my name. (laughs) And I said, yes, Max, the restaurant name wasn't Max. It was the M in the second position, but a little glimmer of recognition of that M needs to be encouraged, even if it's not initially showing directionality. Then we moved to knowing more letters, knowing directionality, attaching the phonological awareness to the decoding. So I remember he knows M. He just needs to learn where it goes and how it sounds. Mm. But That visual recognition showed me a glimmer of what was to come.
1: After the break, Adria and Patty dig into small group instruction. Stay with us. The small group setting helps students take ownership of their own learning and helps teachers provide responsive instruction. In their book, Small Group Reading Instruction, experts Adria F. Klein, Barbara Andrews, and Peter Afflerbach detail the best practices for reading instruction in a small group setting, including strategies to implement practices successfully in the classroom and monitor progress. Using these instructional techniques Teachers can help students grow into successful independent readers. This book shows teachers how. Learn more at pdessentials.com. Go teach brilliantly.
0: Let's keep that Scarborough's rope image in our mind as um, we move on to the next question that I have for you because these are really connected. So, I mean, I feel like you are the ultimate guru in small group mm-hmm. <laughs> reading in this world. I know that there's lots of other people that um, you would turn to, um, but in my mind, you as as uh, reading in small groups, I just um, I just want to constantly come back to and learn more from you. So let's just remember just some of the key elements about small groups as we will connect it back to Scarborough's Rope, but just for now, let's just dig into some really important things to remember about using small groups in the classroom. Can you share with you?
2: I I appreciate that because I learn from everybody else. We are all learning together. And so I was a secondary intervention teacher. And as a secondary intervention teacher, I saw 10th and 11th graders who were reading about the second grade reading level. They were not strategic and they were not automatic. And so reading was slow, writing was even slower and we did less writing at the time. And I draw from that experience to talk about small groups, because I pulled small groups within a 35 student 10th grade classroom as an interventionist. Why, you ask yourself, would I even think small group? I'm not thinking only about small groups, I'm thinking about meeting and differentiating student needs. If we kept barreling along mm-hmm. without some extra support and scaffolds, for that group of older students, I found we would leave them even further behind. So for me, the small groups helps us differentiate the student needs and keep them all moving forward. It isn't about the design as much as it is about meeting the needs and personalizing the needs. I don't want small groups to last a certain amount of time. I don't want them to be a certain type. I want them to meet needs. So I might have a group that meets three times, might have a group that meets for eight weeks. That flexibility is not really well understood about small group. Pacing needs to change, vocabulary needs to be increased as I mentioned earlier, often that's a big gap. Mm -hmm. And when I think about that, how do we move to the next skill or sound or letter or the like without doing small group to keep everybody moving forward? To me, it's that kind of at your own pace, but as fast as we can go. Mm -hmm. And we must catch up, but you don't catch up by referring people or leaving them behind. You catch up while it's happening. Mm -hmm. And that to me is part of the power of small groups. They sometimes help kids move ahead. I don't want to think of them only as an intervention for kids with needs at one end. Sometimes the kids are going so fast and they're so strong. They don't pay attention to detail and make unforced errors, which count equally negatively in scoring as an unknown error. We forget this. So I think we need to do both, but I want to consider the small group helps us meet all needs, but they aren't uniform in size, length, purpose, but they're necessary at all times. We need to plan a little more, and this is certainly a hard time to plan. Yeah. We have to be flexible about it, but the outcomes are so much stronger. We must keep them short. We must adjust to needs. And we have to, I think we'll call it frequent regrouping. I was a math teacher originally, just to understand that. Oh, my and so the idea of regrouping was an early math concept. I had to mention that. And to me, it takes ongoing formative assessment that's observational and responsive and learner-centered that helps us.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it is, it's just so important in any grade level, I think you've illustrated that um, small groups that are flexible, that are ongoing, that are meeting the needs that we are seeing um, in observation um, in the classroom, uh, really support that learning progress for every student so thank you for bringing us back to uh, this reminding us of really the essentials and the importance of small groups
1: after the break assessment observation and yogi berra stay with us benchmark academy a new online professional development opportunity that gives you exclusive access to some of the top minds in education today The Academy offers interactive and engaging step-by-step guidance for teachers of all levels through lively video classes bursting with information, paired with research-based professional development books, multiple reflection opportunities, and comprehensive course support. Courses go deep into topics at the forefront of childhood education. A simple and efficient user interface, clear visual explanations of concepts, and real-world student examples make learning easy and enjoyable. Dynamic online classes paired with professional development books, study guides, and implementation guides will help you steer your young readers and writers to their highest potential. Learn more about Benchmark Academy at benchmarkeducation.com.
0: So now let's connect the two big concepts that we've talked about. So we talked about Scarborough's Rope. um, and just how important it is that any part of this complex rope, if it's insufficiently developed or it's missing, then, um, that, then reading will be impaired. So we know that, and then we know that small groups can help accelerate learning. So I'm just wondering, what do you think are the most relevant um, and justified parts of Scarborough's rope to use in small groups?
2: You know, I think the word recognition three key aspects need to be considered as small group scaffolds. And part of that responsiveness that Peter Offlerbach and I talk about in the meaningful reading assessment is to understand ongoing. We don't just assess at the beginning and assess at the end, but we recognize needs. So I might have a student with only 12 letters and we're fairly far into our understanding of letter recognition and sound association, phonological and decoding, but they have serious print knowledge gaps. Mm -hmm. I may need a short-term small group that focuses on increasing letter knowledge. Production, yes, but recognition, fast and fluent and automatic first. I may need to help kids understand what a word is. Surprisingly, word space word, another print concept from language development, language comprehension, isn't automatic, we see it. But then when we get to young children, it looks like hand scratching. Mm -hmm. You know the idea when a young child is trying to write a a letter to grandma, Mm -hmm. they'll have a series of scribbles and they'll bring it over and say, I wrote a letter to grandma. They're not reading yet, but they're seeing themselves as writers, but we don't see any writing. So then again, a grandma would say, read it to me and the child knows their message. So oftentimes we encounter young children who know the message but are missing vital parts like letter recognition, fast and fluid, rapid and automatic. They may have not a sense of word or the vocabulary because they haven't been talked with enough in oral language uh, is uh, limited or truncated. So one of my little ones in first grade, uh, the book said television, the child said TV, How much of an error is that? What kind of error? Or is it a legitimate approximation from their oral language? Yes, it's not decoded. Yes, it's not looked at left to right. Yes, it's a much longer multisyllabic word, Mm -hmm. but they had the concept. Now I have to help them visually map, but that isn't the same kind of error as not even attempting something. We have to give credit to what's there versus what's not yet developed. And small groups target that. Mm. More time to talk, more time to strategically support, more time to get automatic and fluent in these particular aspects of knowns. Yeah. Going from the known, critical, and small groups helps us with establishing and deepening the knowns.
0: Yes, and You referred to the um, book that you wrote with uh, Peter Affler back around meaningful reading assessment and just something that's coming into my mind right now as I'm listening to you is um, these small groups are to help build build knowledge from the known. Um, And also these small groups give us so much more opportunity for assessment as well. So it's almost, so it's, it's not just for instruction, but it's also for learning about what students are able to do, almost do and not yet do. So it has just so much power so in much the classroom. Power.
2: Observation, yeah. recording observations
0: of, they made
2: the H with a short stick mm-hmm. and we need to learn to extend it to, so that they recognize an H from an N, from an R, from a U, from a W, from an M, Mm -hmm. Just getting a couple of those solid helps us anchor the learning to learn a great deal more. And that's what small groups can
0: do. Yes. And that just observing, as you were saying, it's funny. I was at the Yogi Berra Museum this weekend. And he said, one of his quotes was, you observe a lot when you watch. (laughs) And it's so true. Like when when we are watching... Um, we, we learn so much about what our students are able to do, and we can help make those tiny steps, just like you described. Right, uh, and
2: take notes. Yes. I think one of the things that's hardest for me is to take notes while I'm teaching. Yeah. And if we sit back and observe, even allow some partner talk in the small groups so we can make an observational note will help us adjust and fine tune instruction that fine tuning is what the rope is about. Mm. And those strands come together, they don't wait. They Ah. start coming together.
0: Yeah, you just brought it full circle. Thank you. So anything else then to keep in mind with small groups and science of breeding?
2: Well, you alluded to it. Effective PD isn't about only information, it's about observation. So oftentimes the chance to watch a lesson, watch a video, uh, interact with each other to fine tune our own teaching and thinking, we aren't just supporting the child, we're supporting the teacher. Mm. And in that professional development, observation is critical too. We can learn a great deal by reading and by going through information, we need that. But there must be an observational component in some way brought into professional development to strengthen the strengthen teacher. We all observed a lesson. I was teaching small group. I wasn't mentored modeling mm-hmm. and they gave me feedback. It wasn't like, oh, great job, Adria. You know, I noticed you could have. Yes. I recognize you might have. That helps them think teachers, our most critical delivery system is supporting the teacher in their learning. And that takes many facets too. So I almost want to see how those strands interplay with professional development. I'm not gonna build that model, but I think of that model when I think of all the strands of professional development.
0: My goodness, I was thinking the same thing. We're really on the same page. Well, thank you for taking the time today to share your wisdom around um, small groups and the science of reading and Scarborough's rope and how they all intersect and how we can be really practical and responsive to our students um, by by looking at the, the tiniest things that they're able to do and thinking about the next steps um, for them and how small groups play such a big role
1: in that.
2: Thank you, Patty. There's so much for us to learn together.
1: Thank you, Dr. Adria Klein. Thank you, Patty McGee, and thank you for listening to Teachers Talk Shop. If you want to learn more about the science of reading, go to TeachersTalkShop.com and visit our archive. Episode 26 is A Practical Approach to the Sciences of Reading with Dr. Cece Bates. Episode 25 is called The Sciences of Reading and the Whole Child, featuring Peter Afflerbach and Rachel Gabriel. Episode 20, Expanding the Science of Reading, also features Peter Afflerbach. And Episode 4 features Wiley Blevins and is called The Science of Reading, What Brain Research Says About How We Learn to Read. While you're on the site, please register to receive updates about the show. For Benchmark Education, I'm Kevin Carlson.